Hey, welcome to the Fiverr Podcast. We're having our weekly blockchain game discuss the most recent news and updates in blockchain gaming. Today, I'm joined by Khalid from Illuvium, who's our regular speaker on our podcast. We have Will Luton from Department of Play, and we have Emily from Eagle Capital. I'm very excited to have you all here. Do you guys want to introduce yourself? Let's start with you. Uh, sure. So I'm Emily, and I'm an anon on crypto Twitter. Um, and um, I'm also a member of Evil Capital. Okay, cool. Um, Will? Uh, I'm Will. I've uh, been making games for around about 15 years, uh, predominantly in the mobile and free-to-play space. I'm best known for a couple of things, which is that I wrote a book on free-to-play, which was published by Pearson, and that became the default uh, topic on the subject. I got translated uh, into multiple languages, often seen on the shelves of developers around the world. And uh, I also worked on Angry Birds 2, led product, and took that to top 50 grossing. And then following that, went on to found Bravio London as executive producer. Now I run Department of Play, and we are a game design and product management agency. And we work with some of the biggest uh, companies in the world, game makers. So we have worked with the likes of Sony on PlayStation 5 titles. We've worked with Tencent on Battle Royales. We work a lot with Facebook, who provide uh, our services to their mobile games clients to improve their games. And what we do is we go through a process to, to help improve those games. Uh, increasingly, we're more and more involved with um, crypto. So we are working again with some of the largest game makers in the world, looking at bringing their games uh, to to crypto using blockchain technologies, NFT, et cetera, um, as well as companies that are established in that space, helping them with their tokenomics. Awesome. Harlan? Yeah, actually, uh, I just need to say that, you know, Will's book was actually the first book that I read on, on free-to-play games. And it was my, you know, the, the door that opened uh, the understanding for free-to-play. So I just uh, needed to say that. Uh, I am Khaled Romi. I am uh, a game designer at Illuvia uh, and currently uh, focusing on blockchain games, uh, play-to-earn and, and NFT games. Awesome. Uh, with that, let's kick it off with the news. So let's start with Worms NFT. Worms, there's an, they've built an NFT game. They're they're planning to build an NFT game. Then they had a backlash from fans, players, and development partners. And 24 hours later, they did a U-turn and decided to cancel. Will, what do you think about it? Oh, well, we've only got an hour to talk. <laughs> like, how long is this podcast? Um, I think there's loads of different ways that we can consider what happened. Um, there are, I mean, it's such a, it's such a mess, right? It's a mess in many different ways. It's a mess in the way that Team 17 went about this, the way they communicated internally, the way they communicated externally, the quality of the project, um, the quality of the Discord they were running, the the reaction from players, the reaction from developers, um, like it, and then what it means to like the wider crypto um, games industry. I. Where do you want to start on those topics? Because I could talk at length about any aspect of them, and I think it's probably, you know, it's quite complex and all interlinked. Yeah, I mean, wherever you want to prioritize. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously today, if it's sort of follow-on news from this, is that there's a lot of problems internally with Team 17 anyway, um, from harassment and, you know, poor wages, overwork, and that's obviously horrendous and something that needs to be sorted out. The other thing that's happening as well right now is that we... Um, is that it's sort of like this culture war that we we're seeing in the games industry or particularly aspects of the games industry where you've got people in the crypto space coming into games threatening that kind of status quo that we see within game developers and game developers are traditionally quite conservative in terms of games culture even though they're progressive politically and what we're seeing is this this kind of fight this battle right now of trying to force crypto or nfts often like it's talked about as nfts 
out of our industry. And so the sort of vitriol which is being created in that cycle, it really does feel like a battle right now. And we saw the the sort of anger that was directed towards Team 17 for what was actually kind of like a kind of quite ham-fisted um, project, which didn't really offer a lot of benefit. And also there's some, an element of greenwashing because of the fact that you use Polygon. Polygon is an Ethereum uh, chain, a layer two solution. It still is reliant on Ethereum, still relies on um, an aspect of, of uh, proof of work for it to continue to, to function. And then kind of greenwashed it's being kind of like carbon neutral or low carbon um, in, you know, in, in their promotional materials. And then also once you got into the Discord, it was quite clear that the, the team there had never run a Discord before. I think probably what happened, sorry, I'm rambling a little bit here. I think what happened is that when Team 17, this was kind of proposed to them, it was like, we missed out on free to play. We probably should be here and do something with this, with NFTs in this space. Also, this is kind of like a licensing deal. Like we were, we were going to print lunch boxes or t-shirts, right? Like somebody over there takes the brand and they go and do it and then we get profit from it. And I think they probably were a little bit naive in, in uh, kind of like a barometer for what was going on in the in the industry and they didn't expect this to happen and it was all done a little bit but the worms just looked ugly like it was clear that these things were you know there was not a lot of care taken from this it felt overall quite quite cheap and a bit of a shameless cash grab so uh yeah a lot to consider there a lot for us to learn and and they think the impact is going to be long enduring on on what happens from here on in because it was i think in the culture war considered a win other than your thoughts yeah, I think I think we'll uh, dove into it like pretty deeply. I don't think I could I could dive that deep into it because I'm not very familiar with Team 17. But what I would say is is that it's it looks like a bit uh, now the interesting uh, looking at the big players. Like once they decide to do a move, a backlash happens like this might keep them away and and give us you know like uh, uh, how would I say like Web3 natives uh, you know uh, more time. Basically, like this is something that I, I'm really afraid of, like the big guys just coming in and, you know, uh, taking everything. So even though it's 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 uh, not a good thing to have, like the backlash uh, from players, but I think overall, I, th- I think it's 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 it makes the, 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 the playing field like it's interesting, to be honest. Yeah. Interesting. Emily, anything? Yeah, um, I guess sort of like tangential, you know, I think like NFTs just tend to like, you know, elicit this really um, um, violent response from um, a lot of like players and like, you know, just, just people in general. Um, so I've kind of been like, you know, um, in social VR these days and I think VRChat kind of had like a, an announcement um, like maybe two weeks ago or something just be saying that, um, you know, they don't like, permit promotion uh, of any like services like NFTs or like blockchain technology. And then when you kind of saw like all the comments on um, social media, it was all people saying stuff like, oh, you know, that's great. You know, I think like people should um, get DRChat Plus just because they're like anti um, NFT. Yeah, it kind of seems to be like a common reaction among like, you know, most of the, the outside. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, let's move on to the next topic. GameStop sold 42 million worth IMX tokens after receiving a 100 million grant from Immutable X. So IMX is the governance token of Immutable X and likely the grant was paid in X tokens. The token fell 30% after the sale. Uh, I feel like this was a poorly inhibitable end when the GameStop deal were probably ready to give unvested tokens because they might have thought that the publicity that GameStop would bring would be a great marketing boost. Um, any thoughts? Yeah, it's a mess, right? <laughs> <Not> a mess. <laughs> this occurred. Um, 
from sort of like the traditional game space, yeah, why wasn't there investing on this? Why did you just give it all? Why did GameStop also really undermine the the kind of trust that they have with the crypto community, you know, not just with Immutable by dumping this? Like, I, I, what were they hoping to achieve? Was there, it, it just seems perplexing to me as a move. Um, although I can understand probably GameStop's sort of very short-termist uh, view. They've got, they've just been given a hundred million of, of tokens that can be worth cash well take some of that for cash right like you're propping up some old bricks and mortar stores uh, even though you know they've got pumping um, or have had pumping um stock growth over the last few years um was a meme stock like it's still i guess they're still maybe a little bit cash poor and this was like a really nice injection it was just too tempting for them to to skip on um even though probably it's harmed them in the long term yeah, so uh, I'd like to add that, you know, I, I'm not sure how to read this exactly. Like there is two ways. One is that maybe they are not really long term into crypto. And that's why they, they did what they did, which is just sell. Or maybe they, they really needed that liquidity to, to build the infrastructure. So I'm really, I'm really puzzled. I'm really puzzled with this one. So I'm, I'm not sure. We just need to wait and see what are they thinking about exactly. Yeah, I, I sort of feel, I think, um, you know, like probably it was immutable that courted uh, GameStop. Um, and I think, you know, I think GameStop, you know, with like the um, the attention that's on the company, like since last year, you know, where like every single person on earth, like was talking about GameStop. Um, I think in a way kind of immutable that want to, um, you know, in some way kind of ride on, on that, that, that fame. Right. And I think probably when they kind of negotiated this, um, you know, I, I, I think they, they kind of knew what they wanted out of the, that deal. Um, and I think GameStop probably kind of saw it more as like, you know, like someone's offering me 100 million, like, why wouldn't I take it? Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that like wrong uh, of GameStop to be like selling the t- like probably, you know, they were kind of like offered this. And um, yeah, I see it as like a business and it was kind of like, you know, we want to kind of right on your name and therefore we're giving you yeah i i, I think their reaction from the crypto community i i feel yeah was a bit yeah was a bit overdone do we think that it was maybe like a 42 million dollar press release that they got yeah i mean but don't you guys think yeah sorry no i i just i just sort of feel that like you know when the immutable x team went to gamestop they they they, they probably they, they felt that it, it would be worth that amount right you know, and maybe that's something you can say that it's, it should be up for the community to vote, right? But, you know, the a deal was struck and it wasn't like they went against uh, what was actually, right? I, I, I would say, I think I think it's a fair transaction on, on GameStop's part. Yeah, I just wanted to add that, you know, maybe I, I think if, if Mutable, Mutable X like knew about this or didn't want to sell and then give them some liquidity, I, I, I think... They wouldn't do like a, a mistake that's stupid to be honest like not adding a vesting period if they really wanted them to be in for the long run with with via you know tokens or equity so i i think i think it was uh, uh probably for something do you guys know what exactly they are wanting to like is it something like open sea or what what is it exactly that they're building GameStop? i don't know yeah i'm not completely sure either i think it was like some mention of like um um uh, nft marketplace and then there's something about like integrating immutable access uh, layer two technology. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of vague. Honestly, if it's an NFT marketplace, it shouldn't cost a hundred thousand dollars. I'm the an agency you can do it for a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> so I mean, I which is why I, I really kind of think that it was like you know they they didn't want to capitalize on like you know GameStop's name, right? And um, they they struck a deal which they felt very positive. Okay. 
cool. Um, let's move on to the next topic. Um, Gucci, the Italian fashion brand, buys virtual land on Sandbox and is hiring a community manager for its Discord. So we talked about virtual land in detail on last week's episode, and I just uh, published an article about it. In short, I think uh, virtual land is a, a Trojan horse for Web2 companies, brands, influencers, and I think it doesn't solve any existing problems with centralized intermediary gaming platforms such as App Store or Roblox. Emily, any, any thoughts on Gucci buying virtual land on Sandbox? Yeah, I am a little puzzled as to also like how these um, deals are like being struck. Uh, like I'm always curious like how exactly like, you know the, the business development um, happens. Like you know, do you go to like a brand and then you say like, hey, um, you know, uh, would you like to open a shop on you know our thing? And then um, you know what what is in it you know for the brand? Um, do they kind of in a way get um, um, tokens or you know like is there some other benefit to them kind of like uh, a virtual shop um, that, that's kind of like one part that that I'm kind of um, curious about um, but yeah we're actually just kind of looking at um, just player numbers uh, on like web3 sort of metaverse type projects um, and they're, they're kind of low um, so <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't quite know what to kind of make of um, the deal. Um, but I think maybe, you know, someday if, if it's ever reviewed, I think that that would quite, uh, yeah, it would just be quite interesting to know um, exactly like, you know, how they're structured. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're kind of on these things, like, you know, with the hope of getting eyeballs, you know, or like actual traffic at, at this point in time. Yeah, I think that, I think that probably they're not, this is not uh, about reaching a lot of people. Um, I think why Gucci are doing this or why it makes sense for them is that what they produce are Veblen goods, right? And Veblen goods are, um, from an economic economics theory, are items where when the price increased, demand increased. And that's exactly what we see in NFTs and crypto, right? So I suspect that there is a little bit of concern here that what they're seeing some of their customers um, starting to purchase alongside or alternatively to some of their physical goods are NFTs. So things like, um, uh, you know, uh, the board apes and and the, the pixel punks like those kind of like pfp nft type of projects because what gucci do is effectively sell things which are a big um a big price tag right and those things are, are kind of like limited to the physical world and when we see these things also occurring in the digital world it's probably quite scary for them so i expect that this is a little bit of a dip at the toe that we'll see from like lots of high fashion brands we're already seeing streetwear brands do it um, so a little bit more forward thinking, but I, I suspect the future will see more luxury brands doing this kind of thing um, because it just sort of fits within their wheelhouse and the type of demographic and customers they have, I think, to some degree. I agree 100%. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I like you wrote in your book, uh, when people are playing a game, they're they're buying emotions or they're like emotions. And when people are buying these luxury goods, they're actually buying. <clears throat> and I think like um, Bored Ape or CryptoPunks, they created their own brand. Like right now, if you buy that specific NFT, it's like a social signaling. And I think it makes a lot of sense for Gucci to sell these like, I don't know, wearables, NFTs. For example, it would make a lot of sense if uh, Gucci makes an agreement with Fortnite and you know, sells skins on Fortnite. Um, but I don't know if like, buying a landed shop at Sandbox is a good idea, but definitely um, it's not something too expensive. So So why not? Yeah, and, and what, what I think uh, Sandbox is doing is they are absolutely killing it in terms of capitalizing on the FOMO for the metaverse, you know? Uh, and, and I think what is what is uh, 
putting them in that position that they have a very clear proposition for the brands. You know, maybe it doesn't look like the most prettiest proposition for a metaverse, but it's very clear, it's very defined, and it's just utilizing the other brands and now it's building up its its brand name, you know, which hopefully would, would signal uh, for the investors on the token. I think maybe it's not like they're not looking at player growth, I think now, but more of a, you know, building their brand and 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 utilizing that to, to give value for their token. And they are absolutely killing it. Like, I'm not sure who's handling all of these deals, but man, they are really killing it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm like really curious as to like, you know, what happens like in the background, like, you know, as to like what's pitched. And, you know, we kind of see from like GameStop and Immutable X, like, you know, like in this case, um, I don't know, I, I saw a few that the brands, right, like the Gucci's and, you know, all these others, um, like there's probably bigger brand value from their end, right? So um, it doesn't seem as simple to me as like, hey, Gucci, would you like to come and like open a store? Uh, you know, there's probably like something in exchange for that. Uh, so yeah one thing is probably of note is this stuff has happened before in the games industry so i don't know how long people's memories are for uh, second life which was um i guess we would call it a, a metaverse before it's called a metaverse people call it an mmo um like it was we had lots of brands rushing in and buying up land and you know setting up shop there um and it kind of petered out so there's always a risk right with with these things uh coming around again uh it also, interestingly, like Second Life mirrors a lot of what the Sandbox or lots of uh, kind of more land-based games are attempting to do because it still had that one-to-one economy where you could buy in and cash back out uh, using uh, Linden dollars. So, uh, yeah, kind of interesting to see history repeat itself. I think maybe the block does the blockchain change that? Does it change the way that people feel about it? Is it enough? Um, or, or is it kind of like doomed to fall, fail the same mistakes that we saw before? But it feels like it were on very much the same sort of like trajectory around the sandboxes uh, second like I just I don't know what that means just a kind of observation and, and what was the outcome um, of that I think it's still running but I don't know many people that talk about second life and there was a point kind of like in the in the height of the frenzy uh, so this probably would have been early to mid 2000s where newspapers were putting full-time reporters inside of second life to report on things that were happening um, and it was kind of interesting there were interesting art projects and you know brands were coming into it and opening up spaces i'm sure back then you used to be able to go to a blockbusters or there was a you know um a dreamcast land or whatever it would have been at the time right um but yeah it just kind of petered out it just kind of fizzled um mostly because the experience was not particularly good and the the lack of guardrails that were in place uh the space kind of got abused quite quickly so um maybe that's a learning as well were people able to like make actual transactions with with real money on second life yeah so there was um there was a currency called linden dollars linden bucks linden dollars um which you bought directly from the developers linden labs and um they had they were basically a state it was a stable coin um even though it was, it was centralized and i think that there was also the ability to exit back out so if for example you you bought a linden dollar for a dollar i think you could exit it back out at 80 cents so there were people we had play to earn within that space because people were able to create items in 3d and then sell those um and so you could go and buy stuff from other people and those things be um you know kind of profit generating so i think people did actually make lots of money um but primarily it was real estate agents people that were buying up plots of lands early and then reselling it right land speculators or you know people that were brokering those deals yeah i heard about like uh, second life in those days as well and like from what i know there was like a, a flourishing casino uh within second life 
And um, I think at one point, um, like the authorities had to get involved because they were actually doing like um, really large volumes on a monthly basis. Um, yeah, and you know, the, there are apparently like US uh, laws around like running like online. Yeah, and it happens in EVE, right? Like the biggest corporations, the, the clans that have the biggest power right now in, in EVE are the ones that run the biggest gambling operations. So the ability to sort of gamble-esque outside of the game and operate outside of the game is like websites. And that, that creates a lot of power within the game, um, which regardless of kind of like the, the moral or legal aspects to that, um, it's like such a super interesting dynamic that actually the, the, the game is now played outside of the game. So I think, it, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. I think if you've been paying attention to sort of like the fringes of what's going on in, in games, a lot of the things that we're seeing and happening in, in crypto right now have occurred before. Um, and some of them have been successful, some of them haven't, you know, for you know various myriad reasons. But um, there's lots of parallels. I think that it's very easy to sort of like dismiss things that are happening as kind of like new or fresh, but there often are precedents for it if you go for far back, enough back. I agree 100%. Would like, for example, which games would you say should blockchain game designer um, should look into? Like MMORPGs, you know, Second Life, RuneScape, World of Warcraft, which which games would you prioritize? Magic the Gathering Online, number one. I think uh, also because I love Magic, I'm a big Magic fan. It's the one that I spend the most money in. I think that is super interesting. Um, very deep economy. Um, there are some aspects of play to earn very hard. You have to be very, very good at the game. And you can eke out you know, a small a small profit, but not necessarily a living. Um, but the speculation, the deep uh, stock market, which arises from that. So Mt. Gox, which was you know the famous exchange, it was um, was hacked, was originally MTGOX exchange, Magic the Gathering Online exchange. It was effectively like a, um, a stock market for cards. And um, so the, yeah, there's lots in there. And, and you know, we could, I could talk, write a book on the depth of that economy. Uh, Eve Online is the other one that we talked about. Second Life, obviously. Uh, RuneScape, I think a lot of NFT traders kind of cut their teeth in working on RuneScape. Um, so be, like being able to buy and trade items within RuneScape, the, the game uh, itself. So yeah, I think it's, it's worth looking at all of those. Um, but inevitably, like, there's always those obscure references of games that, you know, which have kind of come up and disappeared. So it's worth going quite broad to look at stuff that's, that's sort of that's, that's disappeared as well. Okay. Uh, that's very helpful. Moving on. Rumors say that Animoca is in talks to close a 500 million fund funding round led by <clears throat> excuse me, KKR, which is one of the largest private equity groups, at 10 billion valuation. Animoca is the group behind the Sandbox and a bunch of other games. Um, I think KKR might also have invested in some blockchain gaming funds as an LP. Emily, do you, what do you think about KKR? And um, yeah, I feel like like investing into animoca for a lot of these um larger lps it's like a safer way if you will to kind of get like beta to everything because i think um you know animoca like in, in the industry they're kind of known for having written um like written both the c checks you know like to anything that's like sort of nft or gaming related um so i i guess i guess in a way for you know like if you're a larger player like kkr trying to get exposure then it's an easy one like it's a much easier sell um then you know trying to get your team to like write checks like you know a whole bunch of different like web through startups um but yeah i think uh, the amount of money that they've raised so far it's been pretty staggering because i think it was just maybe a few months ago when they announced um that they just closed another round it's probably not not that long and so beta 
probably. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I just I'd like to add one thing, which is uh, I think uh, a good property that is in blockchain gaming, which is investing via the token as opposed to the equity, is really making the the, the industry look very attractive to investors. You know, I think deals could be finalized much more quicker than your regular equity deals, uh, which is why we we are really seeing like a lot of funding being funneled into blockchain gaming. So that's definitely a good thing for uh, the space. Yeah, I think, you know, just kind of adding on to that as well. And like, this is a, a point that has been raised a lot, which is that like the funding model uh, kind of makes incentives, you know, a little bit like perverse because in the in the typical venture capital model, um, it's either you, you have like a win. So like the startup has to actually make it before the investor gets an exit or, you know, you can get like, acquired but um yeah like in most cases you know it, it either like goes to zero it's like a it's quite binary um but then you know because you have tokens um you know whether or not the project actually sits sometimes doesn't matter because the investor gets some and i think one thing that like people have kind of like criticized quite a bit you know specifically for for like you know the gaming like game five type of projects um is that the vesting tends to be kind of short and you know the the unlocks tend to be quite aggressive um and i think like this year is really like you know when we kind of see uh most of those unlocks happening because like, they raised last year and it's like a the typical one was like you know six months six months to like the first unlocks and then it unlocks over like nearly over a year which is um very i would say it's like it's on the shorter side compared to motor project um but so yeah i think i think uh, if you're a sort of a large investor uh, yeah it, it is attractive um but whether or not like the market like this year has the appetite to support that um that i think is like the bigger unknown yeah, the question I would have then related to all this is like, these are some astronomical valuations on companies that existed a very short time. <laughs> um, and the last time that that happened was um, during the dot-com bubble. Like, is this a little bit scary to, to investors, Emily? Like, how, because I guess to, to be competitive and to get in on deals, you have to be able to compete on these larger valuations. Um, and it seems very friendly for, you know, for founders right now. Uh, like, how are you kind of evaluating kind of like the size of it and the size of the deals that are going on? Yeah, um, I think it's kind of like typical late market um, dynamics. And um, I would say that like this year, you know, like most of the unlocks are going to be quite bearish for a token price um, in general. Um, and like, you know, this phenomena, you know, I would say it's like GameFi specific, but you have some which are just, you know, certain ecosystems which are very um, VC crowded. Um, and retail just doesn't really have an opportunity um, to make money because, you know, the, the VCs are in at uh, extremely depressed, um, you know, valuation and the, the float is like really low. Um, and the moment it unlocks, like, you know, like, like it, it just gets dumped on retail. So, um, you know, there's some ecosystems where um, retail has just been burned um, pretty badly. Um, and I, I think we've kind of seen that like play out kind of aggressively um so i yeah i i kind of feel that like yeah specifically like you know the model where where you have these like extremely um short vesting and very aggressive unlocks um i think now that's that's not very investable uh anymore so yeah um, yeah i think i think i think um while the race um is still happening um i think that definitely like Coming into this year, it has been harder than the last few months. Interesting. Emily, would you be able to name those ecosystems? Be careful. Uh, 
this is a little bit hard, but you know, it's like it's yeah, it's I, I'm sure I'm sure I mean, we we can kind of chat offline, but yeah. Okay. I mean, there 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 are some there are some that are like you know notoriously known for being like decentralized retail just makes money on. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Moving on. Zynga plans to launch an NFT-based game this year and are looking to grow their blockchain gaming team from 15 employees to 100. Part of the growth will be through partnerships and acquisitions. They're looking to hire a tokenomics designer. The idea is to build a new blockchain game from ground up, not implementing FTs to existing games. Um, their Zynga's early blockchain games will target players familiar with the play-to-earn genre and who may not be looking for robust gameplay, but may be looking for yields. Zynga is a publisher behind casual mobile games, Farmville's Empires and Puzzles, Merge Dragons, Tomb Blast, CSR Racing, and Zynga Poker. They also run one of the largest hyper-casual publishers called Rolex Games. They recently got acquired by Take-Two at 13 Valuation. Before the acquisition, they announced they started working with Forte to build a blockchain game. And before that, they hired Matt Wolf as their V of blockchain. Any yeah, so uh, I'd like to say that, you know, this is not the first mobile game company that, that enters into this field. Like we've seen it with Laguna Games with their game Crypto Unicorns, which is, is doing pretty well now uh, with their NFTs. And uh, we've also seen it with uh, but what I'm really interested in is, is how are they going to deal with their tokenomics? You know, uh, will they make a token solely for one game, which I think is not a good solution in the long run? Uh, or will they do something new where it's like a new entity that is, you know, one platform token that would be used for all their games in the future? Uh, I'm not I'm not really sure. I'm really interested to see what their solution is. Uh, but that's definitely uh, along the rally, you know, the, the the like the intersection between free-to-play games and play-to-earn games is, is like you know not not like it's it's very huge. So uh, I'm not I'm not skeptical that they won't do a good product. I'm just a bit skeptical into how they would handle the economics uh, for for those uh, for those games. Yeah, I think from my perspective, it's like the the least surprising news that you could. <laughs> ever ever conceive of right like zynga want to get into blockchain um i think that they were really burnt i mean even though not necessarily the same ceo they were burnt and there's, there's probably some sort of internal scars of how long it took them to get to mobile um they obviously you know extremely focused on making hay while the sun shines um on uh, facebook that is an intentional pun by the way um so when sort of mobile came on really quick like slow to move really really slow and despite having, you know, the, the hottest games in the sort of social spaces, we would call, you know, early mobile games back then, like social free-to-play. So I think that there's probably like a real worry from lots of these companies and that they missed out on free-to-play. Exactly why we saw, you know, Ubisoft and Take-Two and EA, although Ubisoft have been in this a lot, lot longer than, you know, most, most of us have, um, you know, thinking about this and incubating companies from really early on. Um, that there's, there's like FOMO, right? There's FOMO. They saw what happened with free-to-play. They saw they missed out on it. But they're also probably now seeing the same backlash which they experienced in free-to-play and it's probably quite scary for all those companies so they'll back away but the more traditional free-to-play publishers they should you know should just all be making considerations if not actively pursuing this right now and when if zynga were to implement these to an or if they were to create uh, the copycat of an existing with an and token which game would you go for of their existing catalog yeah I think probably the, the, the thing that feels closest is CSR racing, right? You know, that you inherently have like unlocks and, and um, uh, 
which feel like NFTs. I can't imagine like the poker stuff, I guess they could be doing on chain. I don't really think that that benefits a great deal from being on chain other than the ability to cash in and out. There's already real world poker that's reasonably well served. It being on, on chain doesn't really make a lot of difference there. Um, Farmville, again, I don't really see the benefit of that being on, on chain or more of their sort of traditional, um, their traditional um, uh, sort of like more casual social games. Like I don't think they also make a lot of sense. So the thing that feels most natural if they were to sort of implement it retrospectively would be to CSR or to take that to a, to a new um, uh, into a new game. I think also probably what will end up happening, and I think it was suggested in that press release uh, there, right, which is the idea that they'll end up they'll acquire companies in the space. Um, what happens with with companies that get to a certain size is that for various reasons, like corporates are not very good at turning the ship around or trying new things or you know really innovating in spaces. They're obviously, they're often very conservative. Um, that might be new genres, it might be new business models. So they will almost certainly fail in what they're doing. Um, you know, even if the team that they hire in is very smart, they'll be hampered by um, the sort of protectionism of um, the, the management structure which has existed to execute on an existing model, existing business model. Um, smart startups will move much quicker, be able to try new things, uh, and they'll sort of emerge from the primordial soup. Zynga have deep pockets, um, and so should be able to acquire them, particularly now they're, you know, Park Take Two, there should be capital available for them to acquire um, uh, these sort of startups which are emerging in the space. So I think that's probably going to be the most successful route for them to to approach this. And then what type of uh, studios do you think they should acquire? Like small studios with blockchain gaming experience? Well, they want something that's already proven successful, right? Which is generating revenue. Sorry, I, I didn't yeah. hear you. Sorry, I said they should be acquiring uh, companies which are already successful and have revenue. Um, them acquiring like 10 man teams are yet to relinquish or have got a bit of a community, probably not interesting for them. You know, there has to be a game with significant revenue and significant tokenomics and ownership and upward value for them to, to take a consideration. Yeah, I don't know if there are any like successful examples that we can point to, like, um, you know, um, game studios that already have existing IP that um, have like a community uh, when they try to do um, this bridge to, to blockchain. Like um, I think uh, a while ago, um, there was some um, Square Enix, which experimented with um, NFTs. So they kind of used, like a less known IP. It was called uh, Million Arthurs. Um, and uh, it, it was it was basically issued, the, the NFTs were uh, minted on this somewhat private chain called Line Blockchain. Um, and like you just didn't hear about like anybody outside of Japan kind of talk about it. Um, and I think there's another like attempt right now. I, I just saw a couple of days ago um, that, you know, a few of these like um, Japanese like gaming companies are um, uh, launching a gaming specific chain. Um, and, you know, they're bringing the, uh, the, the IP, but like, I, I guess, you know, it kind of still comes back to the question of like, even if you do have um, really strong IP, is that going to be sufficient for you to make it like, you know, in um, the crypto space? Um, yeah, I, I, I can't quite think of any examples at this point. But uh, don't you think like acquiring is not as easy as, as it is in the free-to-play space? Like I think acquiring with, with the DAOs and the tokens, I think it would really complicate things, don't you think? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and like, you know, what does it all mean? And if you actually have like IP in like the real world, um, how is that to translate? Yeah, it, it gets. I guess that there's like two entities to this, right? There's a the kind of like crypto on-chain stuff. And then there's the actual physical company in the old school uh, sort of bricks and mortar shares aspect of it, right? 
Um, and often those sort of bricks and mortar shares aspects of it have the t- have an element of the tokens, you know, substantial amount. So while it might be impossible to buy an entire, entire DAO, um, I don't think there's any like cleanup rights that I've ever seen in you know any of the tokenomics. Um, you can certainly buy the entity that makes the thing profit profits from a significant amount of the treasury and um, owns a significant amount of the tokens. But I think that it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that probably developers should be thinking about now if they're finding their business into what an exit strategy looks like. Can you one exit route is that you become a DAO and that you you know you flip all of your tokens and you walk away from the thing uh, and let the the DAO run it. That's not yet proven. Um, like it's kind of very nebulous if that is how functional that is, how difficult that is to achieve. Um, I mean, a, a great kind of idealistic future if we can achieve it. I love the idea, but it's yet, yet unproven. So the realistically, I think that we will still see lots of M&A in the space where traditional companies are being acquired. I think um, to your point, like for example, someone like Axie Infinity, you know, Sky Mavis owns 22% of the Axis tokens. So yes, they can acquire Sky Mavis, and they can be the kind of majority token holder for access. But a protocol like DeFi Kingdoms or Etherworks, where like the founders own the five to ten percent of the tokens, and there is no like separate entity other than token holders. Um, like what would be the backlash from the rest of the, the players or token holders might be something that these like web to gaming acquirers should consider well. Sorry, could you repeat the end of the question there? Uh, it, it wasn't a question, it's just uh, like I, I was saying that the, the web, you know, um, some protocols like DeFi Kingdoms, Etherworks, where uh, there is no entity that owns, like, you know, the, the token that's allocated for the team or the founders, it's not allocated to an entity, an illegal entity, directly allocated to the founders. And let's assume that you're buying uh, those tokens from the, and if that's like 5 to 10%, that the majority of the rest of the tokens are allocated to players or there will be allocated to the community um there might be a backlash from the players the community the liquidity providers that might destroy all the value that acquire has yeah i mean it's it, this stuff's really unknown right and it's, it's so unique to each individual project i think it's going to be hard what we're what we're not seeing happen i don't think we ever will see happen is there being a kind of like a standard for a way of setting up um, the way a game is built from a tokenomics point of view, from a governance point of view, I think it's going to be a real varying uh, mess. So some games are going to be, or some companies or games, whichever way we kind of define that, because it becomes a little bit merged in sort of Web3, uh, are going to be a lot more acquirable than others, right? And the founder's going to be getting out of it, you know, much more profitably or not. I think this stuff is just so messy and it's just going to be down to individual games. But I think that hopefully we'll see some lessons being learned of maybe some founders giving away too much equity in, in the game through tokens um, and not holding enough equity as, as a business. And ultimately they don't have like a, an exit strategy, even though they've raised a lot of money early on. Um, I think that's definitely a, a possibility that we'll see sort of like some founders really shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, I think most of the time these sort of mergers, like, you know, what does the community really care about? Like typically people really get upset when they feel that, let's say, if it's getting, uh, you know, acquired by some other larger protocol, that like the price is not fair. Um, I think ultimately it's still very much financial driven. Um, and that I guess it, if, you know, it were a merger and like, you know, overall like token price go up, like everyone's happy, like no one's really going to object to it. Um, yeah, it's it's only it only becomes, I would say, an issue for the community if they feel that, you know, they're not getting paid the right price. Okay. 
um, let's let's move on and let's talk about Axie Infinity. So Sky Mavis hires former Pokemon Go product manager Philip La as Xfinity Green product lead. I've known Philip from um, the Discord server that Bill set up, and I'm excited about this. And congratulate Philip from here as well. Axie has announced season 20 updates. SLP rewards for PvE mod have been completely removed. Access pool for players have been increased, and more players will be rewarded with access. These updates will heavily decrease the daily SLP minted, but I do think it's still not sufficient as I believe Axis should also have a limited shelf life. Any thoughts on the season 20 updates and Philip being hired? Will, what do you think? Yeah, Philip is my boy. Like he's um, he's the co-founder of the, the Discord group. Um, I've got incredible amounts of respect for him. And I think that uh, it was a really good hire for Sky Mavis. So um, yeah, we, he's, We've been chatting back and forth when you know the offer was made about you know does this seem like a good a good fit for me? Uh, I'm sure that you know he's he's going to do an amazing job, really great product manager. So uh, that's an, a fantastic opportunity I think for the Axie community. Uh, can I ask you guys? Like, is is, is I'm, I'm not uh, you know very familiar with Philip. Is is he like a growth? Uh, like, does he have a growth background? Like more marketing? Because when I checked LinkedIn, like it was it seems like that. Uh, is that the case? No, he's like game design PM. And um, was it um, was on not really before? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yes. So that seems like it's a good move. Good move. Uh, did you would would you guys want to talk about the big SLP changes that they did, which is like uh, finally the ball is moving. I think uh, it's about time. Uh, although it's it's a bit uh, not uh, you know they didn't solve the issue from its core. I think, but it's definitely a good move that would give them some time uh, in the meanwhile. And yeah, we've seen it with the SLP price and how it sh- like skyrocketed up now. And I think Pegaxi had something to do with it, to be honest. I think they, they really put the pressure on, uh, which is which is I think good overall. Could you explain yeah. a little bit about the changes? Sorry, I'm not I'm not familiar with exactly what, what did happen. Yeah, I, I think uh, Vader might might uh, be more familiar with them exactly <laughs> because they were recommendations basically from you know one of the articles that he made. Yeah, so um they you know they used to give out PV rewards, daily P rewards, single P rewards. They completely eliminated those, and so now the daily SLP minted per player has been reduced um, heavily. And um, they used to give access rewards to the top, I think, maybe 1,000 players, um, but now they increased that to, I think, maybe 300,000 players. I'm not sure. And the total access pool that's being rewarded is increased as well. Okay, um, moving on. SLP is up for X in the last four days. I mean, I, I don't know if the investors are booking in the season 20 updates. I'm, I'm not sure because the price went up only 10 to 20% when the updates were announced. I, I think something else is going on, but I'd want to hear your thoughts before shift my opinion. I feel like a lot of um, people have kind of dropped out of the game, you know, the last month um, because it just wasn't like viable anymore to, to play the game. Um, and, um, you know, like there were sort of large deals, like it was really hard to, uh, move Xyz, like overall, um, prices of Xyz had like fallen quite drastic as well. Um, so I think like what I'm kind of watching, I just went to check like Xy world and I think like daily, you know, the, the burn versus like minted. So like, you know, you're still kind of off by maybe a factor of about five to six. Like in terms of like SLP being minted versus like, um, and I think like in the past when they tried the different measures, including like 
you know, um, um, farm with your SLP and then you get RON. Um, and like those actually didn't really have much lasting effect. Like you would see SLP pump for like two days, it would come back down. Um, so um, I, I think I, I am still a little bit like on the fence right now. Uh, I'm just not sure if like at this point that, you know, maybe people who are kind of like who left the game, they're kind of thinking maybe I should like play it again. Uh, I'm not sure if that's enough to kind of like want them to come back. Yeah, I was just having a little look at uh, Vader, the, the point you were making about a 4x uh, pump uh, on the SLP price. So I was like, oh, okay, because I, I was looking at the price there, I didn't really notice much. And I think if you look over over a year, uh, we had a, a peak of, was this like 35 cents? And it's now down to like, it was down to 0.1. Oh, sorry, uh, one cent as its lowest lowest point, and now it's up to three cents, right? Four cents. So yeah, it's four x, but it's still <laughs> a one tenth of what it was. So um, really, the the problem with SLP is always going to be that it's linked to demand of axes. You can issue less of it, and the price will rise per SLP, but the earning power of of um, of a player is still the same. Like it doesn't matter what you do on on the microeconomics because the macroeconomics is still. You have to have people coming in. They have to be buying axes. If they're not buying axes, there's no demand for breeding. If there's no demand for breeding, there's no demand for SLP. Like it's quite simple. It doesn't really matter like how much SLP they they mint. What they because I spent a lot of time trying to think about how do you solve it. And the reality is there is no solution to it. The money out is is equal or less than the money in, right? And the problem right now is there's no money in. And the if there's no money in, it's not attractive. Well, if there's no money out, it's not attracting new players on the money in, right? So. This kind of problem, which we identified in our deconstruction of, of Axie, which you know people have called it a, a Ponzi, which I think is unfair, but this idea that people are only able to profit inside of Axie Infinity. Other people are coming in to spend, but because they set this, this kind of um, external view of play to earn, that the game is somewhere you can come and extract value. If everyone's dumping into the game, looking to extract value, even if they're initially spending into it, um, you run into this problem where you have more and more producers and the more and more producers that you have, you need a greater number of people on an influx. So it's not just that there needs to be a stream of new players, there needs to be an exponentially increasing number of new players, right? So if one day you've got 100 players that come into the game, then they become the next day 100 producers because they've spent the money and they're looking to recoup. So that 100 players is now creating for, what, another 200 players that come in? The next day it has to be 400, the next day it has to be 800, right? And then you run into these kind of like astronomical needs. So uh, SLP, even if it has like a minor blip, you know, it's a kind of like a sleight of hand, but there's still the earning potential of individuals, even though they maybe have a pool of SLP sat around, it has a, a you know, a, a short term increase in price. Um, ultimately, their earning power is still going to be the same. So I think that the the microeconomics, which people focus too much on, on Axie really doesn't matter. And there's nothing you can do about it because it's still the same logical stuff, which is happening on the macroeconomics. You just can't be fixed unless there's more people coming in and playing the game for fun and fewer people looking to just purely extract um, value from it. And this, I think, is a problem that I see from lots of uh, studios in this space. They're coming from um, from crypto and they're seeing those sort of tokenomics, but they're forgetting actually at the heart of it, you need to have a game which people like and people want to pay to play. Um, there was a really interesting interview that I, I listened to from one of the Sky Mavis investors and they they were talking about how good does Axie Infinity need to be? And the answer to that was it just needs to be better than driving an Uber, right? That's who they see as their competitors and this is, is Uber. And I think it's just so wrong headed because the only way that, you know, 
Uber has a utility to it, right? Like people are paying to get from A to B. There has to be extracted value from some players. And those players are not coming because they want to drive an Uber. They want to come and enjoy a game, right? And they want to have compelling reasons. So macroeconomics are broken. It doesn't really matter about the, the microeconomics is my take on all of this. Yeah, agreed. Um, my thoughts, I think, I don't think SLP price went up because of retail interest, because there hasn't been a hype around SLP. Even the, the sentiment around SLP on crypto Twitter was pretty bearish. I, I think the SkyMavis team or ex, the excess treasury, not from treasury, but SkyMavis team might have started buying back SLP and burning it. Um, and maybe they didn't want to do it publicly because they didn't want to be front run. Um, and I don't have any proof on this because if you look at the excess treasury, it's the same. Nothing has been spent from that. But that's what I feel I might be computer on. I think the crux like now um, is whether like when you're kind of looking at like guilds and stuff, it was whether or not because like ultimately it's like, you know, guilds raise money, then they use that money to go buy XC. Um, I think a big factor now is like whether or not like people actually think it's sustainable. And you know, if the answer is like yes, then maybe, you know, they they may activate like that buying again. But like if that doesn't start, then um, yeah, it, it probably is going to be kind of like the previous like few attempts that they kind of tried to save the price. Like, you know, it just kind of fizzes out after a few. Uh, what about the Axie floor price? Like, could, could we put that into the equation? Uh, Vader, maybe did it change after the announcement or compared to the SLP price? I didn't track it, um, but like I would think more of maybe. So there are some axes which are basically pretty useless because you just can't games with those axes. And um, like my scholars used to call them like trash axes. So maybe if, if we could have get a floor price for the useful axes and track that, that I think that's, that would be a good idea. Um, but if I looked at the breeding count, the breeding growth has increased, maybe that would be something, but I didn't see anything there as well. So I'm, I, it, to me, it's a bit of a mysterious, um, yeah, because because what I was thinking about is now because SLP is tied to the MMR, so breeding would be much more riskier than, than what it used to be. So yeah, yeah, it's like a, it could be there is something. It's like it doesn't make perfect sense. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, moving on. Quick update on Pegaxi. The daily Pega breeding count is still around four thousand a day, which is on par with um, the the figure that has been in the last few weeks. And this shows that demand for Pegaxi hasn't slowed down at all. And assuming the average Pega breeding cost is somewhere around $1,500, approximately $6 million fresh capital flow into the Pegaxi every day. Any any quick thoughts on Pegaxi? What is a Pegaxi? Sorry. <laughs> so um, Pegaxi, it's it's the new, um, some say it's an XC. You buy a Pega, it's an NFT. You earn this tokens. Um, well, I'll, we, I, I record a podcast on this. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, what when, when I check the chart, it seems that the growth is slowing down, don't you think? Like even though, okay, it's steady for the past week, but it seems like it is slowing down. Yeah, I mean, on a, on a percentage basis, is they are growing, but the, so it is slowing down, but um, like it's still there, you know, it's not that bad, but definitely, yes, on a percentage basis, the, the growth is. Okay, got you. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much thoughts. It's like, it feels like it's uh, oxy, but, uh, you know, uh, on its early days, like this is what it feels like. This is what it looks like. Uh, not sure how are they going to solve like the main problem that Axie is facing now, but it doesn't seem like they, that there is any any focus into those aspects, or at least not as much as it should be. Okay, moving on. 
Pixel One, an upcoming open world RPG, raised 70 million from primary sales. The game will be launched in Q3 this year. The NFT floor price is currently trading at somewhere around $40,000. Some NFT influencers have been calling out red flags about the project, saying that they nowhere close to being finished and that the anonymous team behind the project had no prior game development. Yeah, it's very 2017 ICO vibes. Yeah, there's lots of these, right? I guess this is just the, the most successful one. There seems to be a lot of uh, like vaporware um, games. That I think developers see these red flags really quickly when they they um, they often see projects pop up where they're trying to be really close to an existing project. Red flag for a start. Like it's obviously a Pokemon clone, but using some kind of like Minecraft-esque graphics. It looks like a bunch of stuff which has been taken directly from the um, Unity Asset Store. It's another red flag. So this stuff just really hurts us, right? Like if this is vaporware or, you know, let's be maybe a little bit more um, forgiving and say actually it's just going to, this is a real project, but it's inexperienced devs um, that have kind of hacked some stuff together and, and have raised a decent amount of cash to be able to continue building this thing. Ultimately, it may end up in quite a disappointing product because they're, they're not experienced game developers and that just it erodes trust um i'm making an assumption here right that this from very quickly looking at the website uh, and seeing those red flags but uh this stuff just it really sucks it just makes me sad yeah so this is this is what we get you know when we have uh, the highest return on investment would be on marketing effort currently because basically uh, like blockchain games you could uh, get your sales up front in the form of nft sales token sales and whatnot so this makes the return on investment in marketing and community effort, the highest, sadly, compared to game dev, game design, economy design. So that, that, that that's what, what we will get. It feels very much like Kickstarter, right? Where we had these big hype projects. We had, um, I mean, all it took was the Ouya and the Pebble to, <laughs> to see the reality of what those projects actually were. And people realizing, oh, maybe I'm not very good at, at um, uh, projecting future success or investing, right? Um, like just when disappointing products come to market, even though I made games for both of those platforms. So I'm also not particularly good at judging. But I think that that kind of like damages consumer uh, trust when we see these things like, you know, take longer than they, they, uh, they're they going to take, um, that they're a bit disappointing. Or even with Oculus where they, you know, succeed, but ultimately the the backers don't see any financial benefit from that. And I think that a lot of the, the Kickstarter backers that uh, backed Oculus were really pissed off when Facebook acquired them. They ended up getting niche right like they ended up with nothing um apart from a, a kind of underwhelming dev kit so i think you see it, it's sort of like history repeating itself a little bit again that we'll probably end up with a lot of these projects lots of people investing money in it getting excited about it i'm looking at their change logs here and like they're directly calling items in their game pokemon with the you know in exact same spelling exact same capitalization and, and you know it, it just it blows my mind that you know that this sort of stuff is allowed to happen it feels very much like um kind of like a, a like a, a sort of backstreet market right <laughs> it feels like we're buying like knockoff pokemon backpacks and lunchboxes oh, it sucks it really sucks it's the, it, this is the thing that comes with that decentralization and the lack of regulation in the space i mean the hopes are that they get taken down quite quickly by nintendo get telling off um and people don't lose too much money yeah w what i'm impressed by is like how do you cold start and scale such a hype that as an anonymous with no game that you can raise 70 million from any sale and any, any thoughts i mean there were it's not just like games but you know the at the height of the olympus fork season like people would just start stuff and then they would raise like 60 million in, um yeah i i don't think it's like 
unheard of person. You know, it, it could be like a non-teams, but perhaps like, you know, a non like have some record. But yeah, it, it, it does happen. Well, one thing actually that I would like to add is that, uh, you know, once you transfer your money into tokens or things like that, you kind of lose track into like, this is really actually money. So you tend to play with it. You get, you would take much more risk than, than you would normally do with money. And I think that plays a very big role, especially with NFTs. Honestly, I, I, I'm a victim of it myself, to be, <laughs> to be honest. But like, <laughs> this is what it is. Nice. Okay, moving on. Um, Gala Games to invest five billion in NFT expansion efforts. They will invest music NFTs, movies NFTs, team park NFTs. Two billion will go to gaming. One billion will go to music NFTs. One billion for movies NFTs, and one billion for theme park NFTs. Rumors say that Snoop Dogg might release an NFT album on Gala's platform. The music NFTs will have the potential to listen and earn. Some NFT owners will have exclusive access to special concerts. Parties at Snoop's LA Mansion and limited edition tracks. I haven't done much research into music or movies and FT, so I don't have to say here, but five billion is a gigantic amount. And they plan to allocate this cap to any thoughts on Gala Games investments and um, music and FT. Uh, I can say that I'm a huge fan of Snoop Dogg. Um, so I was really excited. I'm not one to really invest in NFTs or buy NFTs. I was quite excited for this. And I probably, it's reminded me that I need to go back and sort out my wallet and, and pick up some of those, um, uh, those drops. So I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about a new Snoop Dogg album and the fact that he's also recently just bought um, Death Row uh, Records, which was announced today. Um, so that, I mean, that's kind of interesting. But I, the thing that's perplexing me is where did Gala come from? I've never heard of them until this morning. <laughs> like, am, I, am I like not got my finger on the pulse or is this kind of surprising for other people? No, you're definitely out of the loop with Gala Games. You're not aware of Gala Games? Really? No, I had no idea who they were until this morning. It's one of the biggest... Uh blockchain gaming platforms i think now and honestly it's like one of the most interesting ones to be honest like their shotgun approach is like they are inevitably something will will succeed to be honest with what they're doing like they have tons of games in the pipeline all sorts of genres and now with with these verticals also starting up like uh, i think i think their plan is, is is really good really good and i think something is inevitably will, will stick i think the sort of point that people kind of talked about when the news was released was more how um that like gala's market cap was like about 2.5 billion and the uh, amount that they were planning to invest in nfts was like five um which i guess is gonna get funded by you know future emissions of their token i, I didn't kind of see like that much this kind of about like you know what they're planning to do but it was more like like hey how can you be investing like you know double what your market cap is yeah well so it gala was founded by um Zinga. Eric, the, one of the Xinga co-founders, and um, Emily, I agree with you. I think, I think like they're gonna raise capital from like LPs or investors, and gonna use that capital and invest together. Otherwise, it's just a huge amount compared to their market cap. But you know, Gala is like one of the largest um, like metaverse slash gaming tokens right now. They're, I think, they're like a top fifty token, and they're behind um, Axie and and Sandbox are on par with them. Have they had any successful games yet, or is this just all speculation? Uh, they have this, I think, game called something like Townhouse, um, which Ta is... Town a... Stars, I think. Town yeah. Stars. Uh, no, I, th I think it was just nothing that is worth mentioning, honestly. It's just like a lot of attempts, but uh, their their approach is something that <laughs> inevitably something will succeed. <laughs> like they, they have, I don't know, maybe like seven or ten games now in the pipeline. One of them is, is using the Walking Dead IP. Okay. So they're yeah. like a $2.5 billion games company. They've not had a successful game. 
Yeah, so so they're a bit more like a platform, maybe a bit similar to a Forte or Mythical, but um, so they have their own blockchain. Uh, you gotta buy like their nodes to run one of your games. Um, and then they're pretty selective in the games they work with. But yeah, to your point, they have this validation. He's a thing asset. Okay. It's wild times, isn't it? <laughs> it's just really wild times. Yeah, I mean, they're not the only one. Like, if you look at the top 10, I, I would assume, like, most of them are like that, to be honest. I mean, Sandbox is, like, being yeah. at, I think, um, 13 to 15 million billion um, fully direct market cap with uh, less than maybe 10,000 monthly active users. I can't remember who it was. They were calculating the um, value per daily active user. And that number is, like, kind of astronomical for most of these, um, for most Web3 games. But you know, these are like um, early stage companies. I, I got to be fair to them. So if they can have parabolic growth, they can actually pay off for these valuations. Now, I think Sandbox is pretty overvalued, but Gala Game, I, I wouldn't underestimate them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult to raise right now because they're not like, you know, mature public companies. They just they just have the promise that they will grow and they will generate a lot of revenue. Yep. Okay, moving on with the with the last um, last news. Disney is looking for a business developer with Netflix, and maybe I should add that um, Disney owns IPs such as Marvel and Star Wars, and um, I guess they can either like issue and sell their NFTs or partner with the games, like license out their IPs, or maybe they can buy a land on Max as well. So yeah. Yeah. I sort of feel like I'm still waiting to see like, um, you know, like a historical sort of company, like a traditional company that has some strong IP, like how they will actually do when they try to like issue NFTs. I don't think we've really seen that yet, um, you know, and like to that, you know, can they kind of build a community within like crypto um, to cater to that crowd? Um, I think like Star Wars and stuff is fine, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's like, you know, within the, the crypto crowd, like, is there a demand like for Disney NFTs? I'm a little bit on the fence here. Yeah, I think uh, there is an app called Vivi, if I'm not mistaken, which has some NFT-ish type of things that, that is building some traction. So I, I think there is a demand for, for such IP NFTs, but like the execution is, is a bit a bit uh, of an issue, I would say. Like how, how, how would you do it? What, what utility would you bring? Are they just pictures or... Would you, would you link them to, you know, your ecosystem? I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they would just be pictures and then people will be disappointed. But then if you try to link it to the existing IP, then that brings up like a whole host of questions. Just like, you know, it's really hard for like large companies to manage, you know. And I can, I can just imagine like like the discussions um, on things like, hey, can I use it as my profile picture? And then, you know, like because now like Twitter has the... Um, Certain countries, you can kind of like put the, the hexagon on and put your NFTs, right? So then let's say if you had like a, a Latin like profile picture and then could you say that that's yours? And, you know, I, I can sort of see like so many like IPs arising. Yeah, I think that might work out, especially for children. Just like, you know, they, they spend a lot on Fortnite skins, characters and items. So why wouldn't they buy a Disney NFT and put it as their like verified TikTok, you know, profile picture? Um, like I, I see a potential market there for kids to ask their parents for some extra cash to buy these. Yeah, potentially. Okay, awesome. Any any last words before we finish it up? No, I think just uh, thanks for uh, having us. It was a pleasure, honestly, and it was very nice meeting or seeing you for for the first time with. Oh, you too. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love to chat uh, crypto and games. So. 
Awesome. Great. Absolutely. Sorry. Andy. No, no, no. Um, yeah, it was really nice to connect with you guys. Great, great. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. Thanks for joining. Talk to you another. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Paul. Bye, Emily.